Well, it's really good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I'm Jen, uh, part of the Corpus College team and um, young adults ministry as well. Um, I do spend majority of my time at the University of Auckland uh, working and studying. I've been studying there for a while now, and after all these years, I've realized I still don't know anything. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I do spend most of my time uh, with my amazing wife and my daughter, who's now eight months. Oh, that's very cute. Eh? I was going to point to them, uh, but they've gone, they've gone home because she is very grumpy. She did uh, wake up last night. She decided to have a playtime last night at 2.30 a.m. in the morning. Stayed up till 4.30 a.m. Amen. All the parents are like, yeah, man, <laughs> welcome, welcome. I don't feel welcome. Um, but if you are a parent in this place and you do have some advice for how to manage our sleep, please feel free. I'll shout you a beverage at the Black Tent um, if you want to come and see us afterwards as well. Uh, if it is your first time here, we are going through a series at the moment called Timing. Who knows that God is always on time? Even when he doesn't meet our timeline, right? So tonight, really quickly, what I do want to do is I want to speak to any person in here who would say that right now you're in a season or you're in a moment where you have unfulfilled dreams. I want to speak to any person in here who would say God's given you a dream or he's given you a promise. But if you were to be completely honest, you're like, man, I'm still waiting. In other words, I want to speak to any person in here that would say right now they're playing the waiting game. Now, many of us might be waiting for different things. Some of us here are just waiting to finish that degree. Come on. So we can get some real money and have food that's not noodles or tuna. Actually, tuna's pretty expensive, eh? You might be in here and you might be waiting, uh, say, to move out your flat so that you can stop labeling your milk in the fridge. You might be in here and you might be waiting to find the love of your life or you might be waiting to start a family or you might be waiting to um, have that career that God's called you to do. Regardless of what you're waiting for tonight, what I do want to say is, Hopefully, I can help you answer this question. And that question is, am I waiting right? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you waiting right? <laughs> so uh, last night, I was on a bit of a mission. I dropped off my wife to um, a 30th birthday over in Ponsonby. We live in Mount Roskill. Now, here's the thing. If you know Central Auckland, you know that it's not too far, but it took me an hour and a half just to get home. Ridiculous, right? Redonkulous. I was on my way home, and uh, let me give you a bit of a bit of context. I was trying to find a place to eat some dinner, obviously, because my wife's been to dinner. I thought, oh, I can just pick up something cheap and easy on the way home, rather than going home and having tuna on rice crackers. Shout out to all of you that do that. Frugal life, let's go. I'm on my way home, and I'm with my daughter, who's eight months, right? And she's crying the whole hour and a half on the way home, right? Because she's a baby. That's what they, that's what they do. I'm in the car, and I'm trying to find this spot. I'm like, oh, you know what? Let's just get a kebab. Um, I also didn't mention that the reason why she's crying is because it's my fault. So I was trying to um, calmly uh, place her into the car seat. But on the way, I didn't know she'd lean forward because she's got a spine. Um, and she actually hit, hit her head on the window on the way in. So I was like, oh, man, kissing her, everything as if my... I was like kissing her. She's crying. She's like, bro, what's your kiss going to do? <laughs> Are you for real right now? So I'm like, oh, calm down, calm down. Come We're going to go home. We're going to go home and have a bottle. We're on our way home. I go to this place, and I'm trying to order this kebab. I see this massive-ass line. What I didn't realize was that last night at Eden Park, there was a rugby game. So everywhere was packed. And so I'm at this place, and I'm like, hey, man, just asking, um, how long is it going to take for me to get my kebab? I'm pretty hungry. And as you can see, I've got a, a crying little human being in my arms, uh, but no pressure. He said, oh, it's going to be about 40 minutes. And so I was like, okay, bless you, brother. I'm, I'm out. 
I ended up going to about four different places, and every single place had a huge, huge line. So at the end, by 7.30, I got home, no food and a crying baby. But it was in that moment that I realized, man, I'm actually, um, I'm pretty impatient, eh? <laughs> so I want to ask from the offset, is there any person in this place that would say, I'm pretty impatient? Just give me a wave, show me that you're a bit vulnerable, show me that you're human. Right, so we all know that we're impatient in this place. What I do want to say is that, that if you're sitting here and you say, actually, I, to be honest, like I'm following Jesus and I, and I try to be a, a good Christian, whatever that means, right? But I actually hate waiting. If I was to be completely honest, I'd stand here and say, like, I hate waiting too. Would anyone join me in that? Would anyone say, like, to be honest, I, I just, I know patience is a virtue, but that virtue is not on my list and I'm still trying to uh, find it. We're all sitting here and I would say, Theologically speaking, I don't think it's wrong to sit here and say that you hate waiting. I think it's pretty normal in our flesh or in our human nature, theologically speaking. Why do I say that? If you turn your Bible to Galatians, you'll see that Paul, the person who wrote it, he said this, that you must have, that you know the Spirit is working in your life when you have these fruit. Notice how Paul puts in fruit that we eagerly try and get, but it's so hard to get. Fruit like love, like joy like kindness, fruit like patience. So that tells me, oh, yes, of course we have the Holy Spirit who's a helper because there's going to be moments where we need patience. Notice how Paul doesn't sit there and he says like, I want to give you the fruit and the fruit you're going to get is the fruit of indulgence. The fruit of binge watching Netflix. The fruit of sleeping in. No, we do that perfectly fine. But I know theologically speaking, I think it's pretty normal to hate waiting. Where the issue lies, I think though, it's not that you hate waiting, but that you actually wait hating. I think it's pretty normal if you're standing here and you're like, man, I actually hate waiting, but that doesn't mean that just because you hate waiting that you wait hating. It doesn't mean that just because there's been a pause in your life that you pause your faith. It doesn't mean that just because there's been a delay in your life that you put a delay on your kindness, you put a delay on your joy, you put a delay on your peace and your love. Now you're probably sitting here going like, well, it's easier said than done. I know, Facts. That is easier said than done. But thankfully, the God that we serve, the God that we worship, doesn't leave us to our own devices. Thankfully, he's sitting there going like, man, look at these impatient fools. <laughs> Peasants. No, this is a God who says, you know what? I've given you the word. And I do want to say really quickly, the word that we have here, I'm a big believer that theology cannot be done alone. What do I mean by that? I mean it's super, super important that every person here, as you read your Bible, that you read it with other people. That you read it especially with those who disagree with you. Because we all know who God disagrees with, right? The people that we disagree with. <laughs> but the importance of reading the Bible, the importance of doing theology together is because of this. God is holy, yes and amen. But your idea of him isn't. God's word is holy. We know that. His living word works through our life. His word is holy, but your interpretation of him, of the word, isn't. That's why we need to do theology right. And I think it's even more so needed in our current socio-political context. Why do I say that? If you haven't noticed, over the last two years, people that you have been sweet with, family members or friends that you've just loved, and you still love, but over the last two years, you've realized that they've posted something, <laughs> or there's a moment where they said something, and you're like... I didn't know you believe that. <laughs> right? Over the last two years, we've seen a big shift in that. I think one of the reasons why, there's this Italian psychologist who's at Harvard, and she says, 
One of the reasons why that's happened here in the West is because in the West, over the last few decades, we've been so good at creating comfort and convenience, and what COVID has done is caused us discomfort and inconvenience. So because we as human beings love control, we've lost control in the world, therefore we try and exert control in our everyday conversations. Strange, eh? I think what's super strange is when you use the Bible to then enforce the ideas that we have. Super, super dangerous. You think it was dangerous if you went to a place, say for example you're here right now and it's your first time. You walk in here and I jump on up and I grab out a Bible and then like in this Bible there are huge chunks of it missing. I would be alarmed. But one thing I do know is that throughout the world right now and throughout history, there have been moments where people have Bibles and they physically rip out things. For example, in America a few hundred years ago, slave owners used to give slaves Bibles. They were ripped out with different pieces because they didn't want slaves to fully know the emancipation of God. Now we sit there and think like, man, that's so strange. That's crazy. But I think we do the same when we go through over a scripture and we ignore it. We might not be sitting here ripping out these Bibles physically, but we might be doing it ideologically. There might be a time here we've come across something and you said, man, surely that verse is not for me. Surely that verse is just for, you know, Pastor Sam and Pastor Kathy, because, you know, it's for them, they're, they're ministers. There are plenty of pieces in the Bible where I think, and I'm guilty as well, that we stand here, we, we read it. For example, when I'm, when I'm having a, a very good discussion, uh, some would call it a disagreement, with my wife, and I'm reminded that the Bible says, husbands, serve your wife the same way Jesus served the church. But, but she's wrong, God. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, of course she's not wrong. I love my wife. But there's times where we are sitting here, we, get, we go through the Bible and we read through and, and, and we can just easily misconstrue it or misinterpret it. I, I think that's why it's so important that we have places like e-group why it's so important we have places like this, why it's so important that we do theology and community. So like I said, thankfully, the God we serve, he has the Bible for us, he has the word of God, and it's there to help us figure out what's this thing called life. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd, help, I'd ask you to please turn to uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. That's Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37. Now, before we do jump into it, and if you don't have your Bible, that's all good, it'll be on the screen. I do want to say, have you ever, I want to ask this, has anyone ever picked up the Bible and you've read a scripture and you've thought, man, strange? Like, have you ever read anything and then Jesus says something and you're like, Jesus, that doesn't make sense, man. <laughs> like, you know, when Jesus is on trial and they ask him, Jesus, some people say you're this, some say you're that. What does Jesus say? I am. That doesn't make sense, Jesus. Do you understand language? Or like when you read the Bible and you're reading in James, and James says, hey, brothers and sisters, literally, dear brothers and sisters, when bad things happen in your life, consider it pure joy. What? <laughs> so when bad things happen in my life, I consider it good? Strange, right? Or in the Bible, when Jesus is literally saying, hey, if an enemy comes up to you and they slap your right cheek, here's what you do. He doesn't say you slap them back. He says, man, offer them the other cheek. Jesus, what, what does that mean? That's, that's super strange. We go through the Bible and we see that many things are strange. And I think the first thing is, if you ever read the Bible and you think, man, this thing is super strange, I think the first question to ask, to ask is, why do I find it strange? One thing that's in the Bible that I think is super strange, that is counterintuitive, that is countercultural, is this idea 
of a holy inconvenience and a divine delay. What do I mean by that? All throughout the Bible, we have stories here of people who have been inconvenienced by God on purpose. And you might be sitting here thinking like, man, I've been inconvenienced. I was trying to watch a video today and it was buffering, inconvenienced. I was waiting in line for my food and it took too long. The person in front of me, they went to swipe their card, declined. Shouldn't have been an ASOS, man. Inconvenience. <laughs> there are many things that inconvenience, right? But thankfully, God has this account of people in our Bible of just being inconvenienced and being delayed by God. Jesus talks about this one example, and we can find it in Luke chapter 10. He's talking to this man, and it's, it goes something like this. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and he left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, main character, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Who knows, Samaritan, that's a friend that we all need. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than, his, than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Man, what a good person. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who had, was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So we have this story where Jesus is trying to tell a Jewish man something that we should model our behavior off. And this story is super layered. Notice that he's talking to a Jewish man, he's walking from a place to a place, and he mentions the Samaritan man, which is, socially speaking, the opposite, hostile between Bosu. Layered story, many things in the story, but if there's anything I could pick out from the story for us tonight, it would be this. The Samaritan man, the person who God's called us to model our life off in one way, is a man that wasn't more holy than the other two, He's not the man that chose to be more like Jesus than the other two. He was just the man that allowed God to inconvenience his schedule. If you're sitting in this place and you're like, to be honest, I have unfulfilled dreams, I have unfulfilled promises, could I suggest, could I ask you, is it possible that God's giving you a divine delay, a holy inconvenience that has moved through your life? That's what I think Jesus is talking about in the scripture here. The greatest thing about the Samaritan man is that he chose delay over destination. So again, it would be amiss if Jesus was like, man, I just need you to be patient. Go ahead and be patient. My hope is by the end of tonight that you will have some takeaway points that will help you to not only wait hating. My prayer is that you, not wait, that you won't wait hatefully, but that you would wait faithfully that you would learn what it looks like to be in this waiting, in this limbo season, figuring out what to do. And let's be honest, a lot of us here over the last two years, it's no surprise that COVID has caused some changes. It's no surprise. Some of us here should be overseas right now. Some of us here should be further along the journey in terms of our work, in terms of our study, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not confident to say that God caused that, 
that God causes COVID-19. But I do with some confidence say that I think God can use it. Not in the sense that he's just using it to teach us a lesson, but in the sense that through it, we can have this fruit be developed in us, like patience, like kindness. Right, because it's easy to sit here and say, like, man, I'm patient as. Until you come up to a moment and you have to wait 40 minutes for a kebab. <laughs> and then realize, I'm not as patient. The first point or the first takeaway I want us to think of tonight is to keep the main thing the main thing. If you are a follower of Jesus in this place, if you're not, welcome. I think it's super brave that you're here tonight. But if you are a follower of Jesus in this place, there is one key difference between you and the person that is not a follower of Jesus in your world. And it's this. That person, when they think about success, when they think about what their life wants to, what their life is, is going to be dedicated towards, they can name many different things that our society upholds as valuable. Like accumulation, accumulation accumulating knowledge, having as many letters as possible, accumulating things, like power, like status, like being rich, many different things. But the biggest difference between you as a follower of Jesus and every other person that is not is that you have a different end goal. That's our difference. Now here's the thing. I can't guarantee that every single person in here will go home tonight and have an amazing dinner. <laughs> I can't guarantee that every single person in here will meet Prince Charming or find the love of their life. I can't guarantee that every person in here is going to earn a million dollars, though I think some people will. If you will, man, feel free to help me up, remember me. <laughs> I can't guarantee there are many things in life. As one philosopher puts it, the only constant in life is change. So I can't guarantee many things. There are a lot of things that are going to change. But there is one thing I can guarantee, hand on heart, 100%. Is that one day, you and I, our journey here on earth will come to an end and we will meet our maker. One day. And that's where our end goal kicks in. The difference between us as followers of Jesus and every other person who's not is that when we meet our creator, we are searching for one phrase. That phrase is found in Matthew 25. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Notice how when we get there, I, I find it highly impossible that we're going to get there. And God goes, well done, my good, my good looking servant. Well done, my man, six pack well done, my very trained servant, my well-disciplined servant, my rich servant. Man, you rolled up in a Rolls Royce, in a Lamborghini? <laughs> well done, my rich servant. I don't think, I find it hard to believe that God's going to say that. But what I do know with certainty is that when we get to meet our maker, we're searching for our God as the end goal to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the key difference. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, we have Paul writing to, to Timothy here. He says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near, and I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Think about it. Think of someone in your life. Could be a family member, could be a friend. Could be someone through work, through school, et cetera, et cetera. Someone who you think, to be honest, I just think they're cool. I think they do things, I think they say things that I really like to model my life off. This was the dynamic that we had here between Timothy and Paul. So Paul's literally talking to this guy and he's like, you know everything that I've done, eh? He's, and Timothy's like, yes, I do. I'm writing about it. Those things, they actually don't matter. What matters is what I've just said. 
Man, when I say I worship God, I mean it. How do I mean it? I give my whole life. The scripture says that I pour out my whole life to God, that I can live for him as a living sacrifice. When I say keep the main thing the main thing, I think it would be a tragedy if you were to get to your creator and you forgot the main thing. I think it would be a tragedy for myself as well. So as we're waiting in this place, and I'm encouraging you to wait faithfully, please, 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 can we keep the main thing the main thing? Now, the next two points. I do want to say this. Quick disclaimer. These might seem like a contradiction, <laughs> or they might seem like a tangent from the first point. Please bear with me. Why I bring up these next two points is because we can keep the main thing the main thing, but in our human heart, in our desires, I think we can swing to either extreme. And this is the first extreme. The second thing to keep is to keep the kingdom, or to keep the king in the kingdom. That's the second point. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 to 23, it says this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, but I hope I never hear these words. I will reply, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So we have here Jesus saying like, man, people are coming out and saying in, in the last days, people will say, God, I went to every single Sunday. God, I served in any E-team you told me to serve. God, I ran E-group. I served in that ministry. I did many things for you, God. And Jesus literally stands here and says like, I don't think he says those things aren't, aren't right. I don't think he says that. But I think he's, he's, he's putting perspective where it's supposed to be. When I say keep the king in the kingdom, what I mean by that is I hope, I pray that we don't get so preoccupied building the kingdom that we neglect our relationship with the king. That's what's of paramount, your relationship with God. I want to ask you tonight, man, do you know him? Friend, do you know God? Do you spend time with him? And if you're sitting here, you're like, to be honest, I haven't spent time in the last week. Man, join the club. We're all out here trying to figure out time that we can figure out, we can spend with God. But I do want to say, there is also one reason why it's a bit more harder to spend time with God. What I'm about to say, if you sit here and you're like, you're of the type of, you're from the cloth of person that you like conspiracy theories, you're going to love this. I do want to say, I promise with all my heart that there is some truth in this. Right now, everything is being intentionally designed for distraction and addiction, because that's where the money at. That's where the money is at. Sociologists call our time as one social marker of our society right now. We're, we're a society that's money rich, but time poor. And we're wondering, why is that? What sociologists, sociologists also say is, every single person in this place, you have a device in your pocket. And that device has been specifically designed. Billions of dollars poured into that device. Psychologists paid billions of dollars trying to answer this one question. How do I capitalize as much attention as possible? If you're sitting here and you've ever, say, you've ever gone through and you've, like, you've just got home from work and you're pretty knackered and you're like, I'm just going to jump on my phone just for a couple minutes and then like, the sun goes down and it's been two hours. Have you ever been in that place? I would like to say that that's been intentionally conditioned. Some of us are like, yeah, man, I was there last night. I do want to say that that has been conditioned, but I, do want, I also want to say that this culture of busyness is at war with our soul. There's a verse here from Pastor John Orberg. He says this, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. 
we will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Another pastor, John Mark Homer, says this, the number one problem that you will face is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. What's the second thing I need us to keep? To keep the king in the kingdom, but I also need us to know, please, please, please don't get preoccupied with this cultural sense of busyness and building the kingdom that we forget the king. Because it's very, very easy to fall in that trap. Man, I'm doing all these amazing things for God, but God doesn't even know you. Please keep the king in the kingdom. Now, before we move on to our final takeaway, I want us to imagine. You're sitting here, and I want you to imagine in 10 to 15 years' time. Imagine yourself in 10 to 15 years' time. Where are you? What does it smell like? What do you look like? Is your hairline still the same? Is your waistline still the same? Is your vision still the same? I'm saying those things because that's all changed for me over the last 10 years. <clears throat> in that place, I want us to imagine yourself in 10 to 15 years, and I want you to answer this question. Imagine that you are living the worst possible life possible. I just said possible twice. Imagine you're in that place in 10 to 15 years. You hate your job. You hate whatever you're working, whatever you're volunteering in. You're a bit lonely. You've cut yourself off from different connections. You're in this place and you're like, I don't know how I got here. I promised myself. I made a vow that I wouldn't get to this place, but I'm still, I'm here. You're doing behaviors and you're acting in ways that you saw previous generations in your family do. And you said, man, I'd never do that, but here you are again. So imagine that. Please don't live there. Just imagine it. My question to you is, what sort of plan, what sort of behaviors would you do from now until then? What type of things would you do for the next 10 years that will guarantee, man, you're going to land there? The way I frame it that way is because I think if we just go on drifting with life, it's possible that after one week, maybe our heart drifts off one degree from God and we just think, oh, I'm just human. After one week, it's one degree, but who knows, after a few years, that's a whole 180 degrees away from God if we're just drifting of life. If we're not intentional with building what God's given us to build. My third point for tonight, my third takeaway is to keep your side mission on the side. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Again, this is Paul talking. He says, I've ticked off every single box you can think of. If he was in this place, he would say, if you value followers, man, I've had over a million followers on Instagram. If you, mal if you value money, I've got commas. They're like millions, that's what I mean by commas, sorry. I should contextualize. I'm not a rapper. Paul would say, I've done all this, but I still consider it nothing. Why? Because those are all just side missions. What do I mean by side missions? I mean the side mission that you've set at the gym. I mean that financial side mission that you've set. I mean that side mission that you've set in your degree, in the job that you're working, in the career that you're in. I do want to say really quickly, a quick caveat, I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying inherently that you're chasing this thing and it's bad. I would say, I would go even as far to say that God can use that. But I do want to say that it's possible that in our waiting, we can actually get distracted from God's main mission and then focus on our side mission. There's a quote here from a Christian psychologist. 
His name is M. Scott Peck, and he's well known for the things he does in church and also in the world of psychology as well. It's a bit of a long quote, I'm going to say that, but please do feel free to follow on the screen. It says something like this. Hobbies are self-nurturing activities. Amen. To nourish the spirit, the body must also be nourished. We need food and shelter. No matter how dedicated we are to spiritual development, we also need rest and relaxation. Thank you, Jesus. Exercise and distraction. And I love this point right here. Even saints must sleep and even prophets must play. Thus, hobbies may be a means through which we love ourselves, but if a hobby becomes an end in itself, then it becomes a substitute for rather than a means to self-development. Important. Sometimes it is precisely because they are substitutes for self-development that hobbies are so popular. Here's an example. On golf courses, for instance, one may find aging men and women whose chief remaining goal in life is to knock a few more strokes off their game. Substitute golf for, for anything else, the gym, video games, social media, etc., etc. This dedicated effort to improve their skills serves to give them a sense of progress in life and thereby assist them in ignoring the reality that they have actually stopped progressing having given up the effort to improve themselves as human beings. If they loved themselves more, they would not allow themselves to passionately settle for such a shallow goal and a narrow future. I think this is important for my life. I think this is important for many of our lives in here. I can't tell you the amount of conversations I've had with people who over lockdown, we just started picking up a gaming habit. Before lockdown, I'd never be a gamer. But then, you know, we had a bit of time. I was like, okay, I'll pick up a hobby. Again, I'm not saying that's bad, but what I am saying is that in our human nature, we can compensate for our lack of progress in our life by feeling good about our progress in side missions. Please, please, please keep your side mission on the side. Know that God, I, I fully believe that God's given a plan and a purpose to every single individual in this place. But I also know that some things can rob that things that aren't even bad, sometimes the opposite of great is good. There's things that started off as I'm just jumping into it, and then now we're spending more time and effort and energy than we would on what God's called us to do. So we have three things here tonight. Three things to, be, to, to keep. One is to keep the main thing the main thing. Second is to keep the king in the kingdom and the third is to keep the side mission on the side 